Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 Hooper and current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And of course, we're always blessed to be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport, who if you're watching live or on YouTube, you can see is going to be joining the episode tonight. He's going to be running everything with the mailbag. Real quick, guys, we're doing some pre- questions that were asked on Twitter. But if you're watching live right now, get your questions in and then we will try to get those in segment three. Before we get going, Amari, I know we have a lot to talk about. How was your Christmas, my guy? It was great. It was great. Just spent time with the fam, played some board games as we usually do. I actually bought the family some board games because that's what, what like games you guys play. What, what's the go to in the Sankofa house? Uno. Okay. I actually didn't play Uno this time around, but pretty much my whole life it's always been Uno. So you know, it's a go-to, like we play it where you stack the cards if you play two draw fours in a row and all that. And yeah, we just ate ham and watched basketball and football beyond that. How about you, Bryce? I feel like your Christmases are so much more Ooh. different from mine because you're in, you're on the other side of it, right? Like I'm still like the child in this scenario because I don't have any kids of my own and you're the parent. You're the one who's like having to buy gifts. So I'm curious to hear this. Yeah, so we actually played Uno as well. And my daughter is the ultimate, if you don't say Uno, as soon as that card touches the pile, she yells Uno at you. You know, like you're supposed to say Uno. She is all of, she's all, I got in trouble because I said it too early. So if you say it too early, then apparently that's against the rules as well. So we played a lot of games and that, that was fun. We actually have three different Christmases. It drives me crazy. So we go to my parents' house. They have Christmas there. We started having Christmas at our own house, just amongst our family. And then we went to Randy's family as well for Christmas. So my kids are the most spoiled kids in the history of the world. They think there's three Christmases, presents galore, all of that. We make them pack up all of their current presents before Christmas and we donate those. Like we're like, you got plenty of stuff. You're about to get some new stuff. So we make them all fill up a trash bag full of presents um, before Christmas hits. But Overall, it's been good, man. Like no complaints. Travel's been good. Family's good. So it's a it's a lot. I'm ready to just relax and kind of enjoy a little bit of time here. So definitely different vibes for me and you and probably even for Wes um, in terms of Christmas right now. No doubt. You still have some uh, time off because of school, right? They're on yeah, yeah. winter break. Yeah. So that's where like I won't go back till the 8th or the 9th, whatever that Monday, Tuesday is. So I'll be good in terms of that and we have a few days here just to, to watch hoops, watch football, all of those things, and watch our Detroit Pistons. Before we get into that, we do have a couple of reviews. First, this was from Javier on Twitter. He goes, I love the Pistons Pulse five stars. Loves the chips in the sandwich with hot sauce guy. I thought that was funny. And then on Apple, he put the all uppercase Pistons pod from Tim Chu. These guys are awesome and I appreciate the informed and grounded take each week. This has been an absolutely brutal season as a Pistons fan and this has been one of the main places to seek refuge in from whirlwind of hot takes and frustration. Keep up the great work. And Amari, my last time I looked, we're at 149.7. Oh my gosh. 497. Wow. 497 ratings between Apple and Spotify. So we're closing in on 500 total ratings and review. Just amazing, amazing where we've gone with this and all of the support, all of our listeners, all of that. No doubt. It would be great to hit 500 by New Year's. No, I mean, no pressure, of course, no pressure. <laughs> that's, that's my new New Year's goal is to rally the troops and get people to give us three more 
ratings on Apple. So please go ahead if you're listening to this. I see that we have almost 60 people on. So I just need a small percentage of you. Go on there, give us five stars and we will be very happy. Yeah, Apple, Spotify. And then if you're on YouTube, I think I'm supposed to say hit the like button and the subscribe, however that works. But let's get to it. We got a ton of questions on Twitter. All of you here watching live, you can put questions in the chat and then we'll answer those later on. We need to bring Wes in right now. Does not look like Wes is at home. Looks like maybe he's somewhere else. So before we start, Wes, let everybody know how your Christmas was, where you're at, and then you can ask us the first question. Yeah, well, so honestly, it's probably pretty similar to the Christmas that you had, Bryce. My wife and I were bouncing back and forth between both of our parents' houses in the Chicago area. So right now I am at my parents' house. I'm in the office area. Um, you know, but otherwise, it's a very relaxing Christmas. We kind of split the day and it's it's not too bad doing the bounce back and forth like that. So, you know, it's a lot of fun. See a lot of family. Good stuff. Love it. All right, let's get going. Like I said, I know a lot of people interacted with this on Twitter. We got people here. So we'll try to get to as many questions as we can. All right. So this is from SJ on Twitter asking, what are your thoughts on that play after the timeout referring to the most recent Nets game? They were trailing 105 to 100 and Burks takes it bad after timeout shot. What do you guys think happened there? Omari, why don't we open up with you? Yeah, Monty was asked about that last night and he said succinctly the play was run for Cade <laughs> and, you know, Cade was in the corner. And I mean, I think it was like maybe not even six seconds into the possession, Burks took that deep contested three. And uh, no, I don't think that's the shot that they were hoping for. Uh, long story short. Yeah, that's a little bit frustrating, right? I mean, we've, I go back to the game winner Sadiq Bay actually hit where he actually broke the play from Dwayne Casey that Dwayne Tracy had drawn up sideline out of bounds. It's just Sadiq made it. And so nobody really paid that much attention to it. I think what this highlights to me is we go after coaches a lot. And this isn't a like, hey, we should support every decision Monte Williams has made. But a lot of the X and O stuff that we see on the court, I don't know that that's what's always being drawn up in the huddle or at timeouts, before the game, halftime, practices, all of that stuff. At the end of the day, these guys are humans. I'm not saying Alec Burks has an ego, but they have their own egos, their own thoughts, all of those things. You know, maybe the moment takes them over. And, you know, this is one that's going to get a lot of limelight because of what this loss ended up meaning and the fact that Cade Cunningham was cooking and didn't even touch the ball. So I need to go back and watch it fully to see what the action was supposed to be. But yeah, man, it didn't look like that was a a very good decision there from Alec Burks. And then I have to put this up real quick. You while we, I'm sorry. I don't know if I've never seen Wes. Don't know why, but I imagined he had long hair. I'm not (laughs) sure why people would have thought that, but like uh, Amari and Wes definitely have good looking hair. I'm a little bit on the uh, other side of all. You have the beard. You have. I do. I do have the beard. I have the beard. So I appreciate that, Amari. Thank you for reminding me, Wes. Let's go to the next question. Yeah, and I will also never have long hair. I hate when it touches my ears. I just I can't do it. I, I would rather be bald than have long hair. So I, I'd lean closer to you, Bryce. <laughs> anyway, so this is our next one, Bryce. We'll go. We'll go to you first. This is from Buffin on Twitter. asks if Cade is really a number two in the long term. Where does that number one come into play? Yeah, this is a little bit concerning, right? If Cade isn't that guy, I think we've seen Cade kind of be that guy recently, and so I have a lot of hope that he can be. But let's say he's not. I think your path to a number one is either the draft, like at the end of the day, you are going to have a very high pick in the 2024 draft. I've said it at nauseum. This isn't a draft that you tank for. There isn't that guy at the top, but we've seen guys be elite coming out of that. We've seen guys not even get drafted in the top five, be elite guys. So there are still going to be 
available picks in the draft for this team moving forward where they could draft that guy. Or I think the most other viable option is you have to package multiple of these younger guys. You know, it's like Jaden Ivey and Asar. And then whenever you can trade picks, you combine all of that to go get the number one guy. So I think there is a path to that if you absolutely have to. I just... The margin for error is what I'm going to continue to talk about moving forward with this team. It's so small. There is a path for this team being good eventually. Obviously not this year. But the margin for error is very small. And they have to really start hitting on all of these decisions. I don't think it's complete lost cause. There are some paths to it. But you got to make the right decisions to get there. No doubt. No doubt. I think with this debate with Kate and sort of going off of what Bryce mentioned, uh, just as far as how many young players you would have to to package, you know, I think for the Pistons, we're unlikely you're going to have to draft that player or you're going to have to get a young guy that you probably gamble on and they develop into that. Uh, you look at New York, they traded for Julius Randle and he kind of became that guy for them. Well, some would say they still don't really have a true number one between him and Bronson, but you kind of need those development stories, those risks to hit basically and get to that next level. You're probably not going to trade for a guy like a Luca straight up or like a, those guys are only available so often that yep. nine times out of 10, they're going to LA or they're going to Miami. And, you know, if you're the Pistons, your pathways to getting those guys is just giving up a lot of picks, which until they convey this one, um, they're not going to be able to trade any picks until way down the line. And even then, considering where the team is now, they may not convey that pick until 2027. I mean, I think at that point, it just turns into a second-round pick and they get off of it completely. But um, how long would his rebuild take from this point on? You know, I think that's really up in the air right now. So the Pistons have to play the long game with it, I think. You know, when you try to trade for number one, I think you end up with a Blake Griffin situation. And when you're a team like this, you just have to play it out, honestly. No, I think that's interesting. At the end of the day, they're going to have to, I don't know if luck's the right word, they're going to have to evaluate a talent correctly that maybe not already established themselves as a number one and get that to happen. Like, at the end of the day, the easiest path to this really working is Cade being the guy. Where are you at with that, Amari? Like, we've seen him really play well recently. I just recorded a pod with Vicini and he gave the stats since Boyan has came back, just the offensive numbers, and they're pretty darn good. Even the efficiency has been good. I think it's in the 11 games since Boyan has, has come back. I feel like I'm trending back. You know, last episode, I think I held with this topic. I'm trending back with what we've seen from Cade on and off the court, even with his interviews, and that this guy is still on a path to being that level of a player. Are, are you still, do you still foresee that potential from him? I'm like I'm in the middle. It's like we see performances like last night or against Atlanta and we saw it as rookie year. We hadn't seen it as of late, but like that switch kind of flips at his head and it just seems like he's playing on the easy load all of a sudden. Like all of his handles are, you know, it's just everything levels up for him. And when you see games like that, it's well, he absolutely looks like a number one. I mean, even last night, like you see Bill Simmons watching the game because, you know, there's like a record at stake. He's a man, Kate, like really killed. He tweeted about Kate twice. Who was the last time Bill Simmons like tuned in? You know, like I know Sam Vincini was all over it. Um, you know, like those games like really, really pop. And generally, um, players who are not number one cannot reach that tier consistently and we've seen K do it a few times you know it really in the second season so I think that bodes well I think along with that um just him being like an on-ball guy like typically okay I guess in today's NBA like most guys are like on-ball guys but I, I wonder if he just beats that that threshold from a size standpoint you need from a wing to kind of overcome that hump that 
guards have difficulty doing. I mean, Chris Paul, you know, is always coming up short. You know, Chris, Derek, not, not Derek, like Westbrook, like you look at all these guys who are kind of like lead point guards and they typically don't get to that point. So if K could become more like a Jason Tatum, if he gets to like that tier maybe, or, or maybe even like a Jimmy Butler, and that just means he's really making a leap defensively, he can get there. But I think it's got to be like both sides of the ball for him. It can't just be him being like a dynamo on offense, but not bringing the defensive aspects of it. I want to get your perspective on this. And I know you're not a fan, so nothing really technically annoys you. So maybe you won't have much of a thought. But I know one thing that's frustrated me recently, obviously the losing streak and all of that, but it's all of these national or not even that, but all of these people who are experts on the Pistons all of a sudden and want to talk about the Pistons. Like you watch one game, you literally tuned in to watch them break the record. And then everybody has a thought on, is K the guy? Is he not the guy? Is this what's wrong with the team? What should they do? What went wrong? I just, I find it a little bit frustrating sometimes. Like you guys haven't cared about the Pistons for how many ever games this year. You tune in one game just to watch them lose and break the record and then everybody has their thoughts and opinions on it i just i find it very interesting and so i'm sure it it probably doesn't bother you because you don't get bothered by much but i just found that interesting do you see that more on your timeline i guess like you brought up simmons tweeting during the it's amazing how many people are watching these games live right now just to watch them lose yeah i mean you know for better or for worse and i mean i guess it's just for worse in this instance it seems like a lot of nba twitter a big percentage of nba twitter has tuned into the pistons every night you know really for the past week i would say when it became more apparent oh these guys are actually they actually might make history you know you just read stuff online and you're seeing just more writing about them in general from outlets who are not necessarily Listen, write about the Pistons a lot. So this is sort of like enraptured everybody. And I want to say like a weird way, but, you know, it's kind of like you can't look away from something that's bad, right? And it seems like a lot of people just have that morbid curiosity. What does that look like? So, yeah, I mean, it seems like we're nationalists, especially last night. Even at the LCA, I mean, there was a lot of reporters there who hadn't really been around as much this season, especially because of the Lions. This is something that has really gotten people to – Tune in. I mean, we talked about them on the pod, even like people, where people are watching now yeah, compared to the right. first week, and they were two and one after the first week. That's just this is what gets people to tune in, I guess. You have you to brought be up, really, really good or really, really bad. You brought up the Lions. Who wins more games this season? Do the Lions win more games or do the Pistons win more games? Uh, I mean, I feel like it's like the Lions by now for sure because they've won they've won twelve games this year. Eleven, right? Are, They've won 11? What, 11 this season, and then they won one in January. No, 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 just, 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 just this. Oh, just this season. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm still going to go up to the Lions. So the Pistons have how many games? They have They're two Boston and Toronto. No, 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 the whole season. Like the, the 23, 24, like the 82 I'm games. I'm thinking this season. in the context of, okay, I'm thinking in Not the context. Not a calendar of, year. No, no, no. Okay. Of two, this of like iteration of the okay. Detroit Lions who have 11 wins with two to play and the playoffs or this iteration of the Pistons who only have two wins, but still have 50 games. Okay. We're on the same page. It took a minute, but we're on the same page. Who wins Uh, more games? Because it's closer than what you think. This is harder than what you initially would think. Yeah. Look, I'm still going to go with the Lions because they probably get out of the games remaining. Like, they, you know, you may get two more, um, which would be like massive for them, obviously. And... At this rate, the Pistons would just have to improve so much in the middle of the season just to crack that number 13 that, I mean, we're like at the 30-game mark, and I mean, they're on pace for six, so you basically have to win at twice the rate they have, which you've lost 27 straight, so that's not necessarily hard to do. I'm just going to go with the Lions because they've had the the good juju uh, this season, and the Pistons have not. 
All right, Wes, your answer on that real quick, and then the next question. God, I hope it's the Pistons. <laughs> yeah. I, I have no, yeah. no other comment than that. I hope it's the Pistons. Okay. <laughs> I won't answer definitively. So this is aptly named Sad Pistons fan wants to know who in the core four outside of Cade Cunningham would give us the biggest return if they were traded. And if you had to trade one member of that core four before the start of next season, who would it be? Uh, Omari, you first. So, okay. I think there's really, I think the answer is the same for both. And I guess it's how you value certain guys, but you kind of look at top skill sets are valued around the league. You know, I don't know if there's a huge return for the rim running center. Um, you know, and those guys are obviously like really core to winning, but, you know, especially with how young Duran is and I'm just where he has to go just to play consistent defense. And then Asar, you know, I think teams, you know, they've been playing five feet off of him. And it's probably a genuine question. If the shot never comes, then, you know, what's his ceiling, right? He could be an Iguodala or he could be like a, a Evan Turner, right? Uh, you know, like a, still a good player, but not necessarily somebody that you would uh, dedicate a, t- a lot, like a lot of assets to. So I'm going to go with Jaden Ivey. Uh, you know, I think just him being a young, one ball, like athletic guy, uh, he's had some big performances in his career. You know, he's got the upside to be a good defender and, you know, I think if teams are just looking for engines more so than, you know, Ivy's probably the guy who fits that boat best on the roster, you know, outside of Cade, obviously. Uh, so I think I'm going to go with Jaden Ivy for both of these. And also just the, the latter one, just because I think there is some overlap with Cade that this coaching staff sees at the, the very least. I don't know how that plays out long term, but I would still probably go with J.I. for the second question. Yeah, I think you hit it. Correctly. I mean, at the end of the day, I think Ivy is the one that returns the most. And if I'm going to trade one of the core four, obviously outside of Cade, I wouldn't even have him on the table. If I'm going to trade one, I want to get something in return. Like I want to make a move that is substantial and meaningful. And at the end of the day, if Jaden Ivy is the one that gives me the most and a that's probably who you have to be like, this doesn't change what I've said about Jaden Ivey for the last three weeks on the pod though. Like I still think Jaden Ivey is really good. I think he pressures the rim in a way nobody else does. Like all of those things. I think I've settled back into, I, I just wouldn't trade any of the core four right now and see if you can build out something around them. I understand those who would though. Like I get it again. You're going to add another top five pick this off season. Do you need five of those guys? I know Duran was, you know, 13 or whatever. Um, but you know, five losses lottery picks on this team plus Killian um, six, I guess. So I just wouldn't though. Like I, I would still want to see, I still believe Ivy can shoot the ball a little bit. We'll see if Asar can grow. What can De- Duran's you know, ultimate ceiling be? It, it makes me wonder though, like what would these guys trade value be around the league? I, I often wonder, you know, what would Jaden Ivy be looked at by other teams, Asar, Jalen Duran, and all of those. So yeah, you Chuck Brewer, you say it perfectly. If Ivy is traded, it better be a clear-cut all-star level player. Otherwise, why? I agree. That's perfectly said. If I don't think it's just going to be Ivy. Maybe it would take something else as well. But if you're going to do it, you're going to do it because you're going to go get a clear-cut type of player you're talking about, Chuck. And that's the only way I would do it. And I think he's the only guy that could even come close to get you there. We do got to have to go ahead and go to a short break here, Omari. When we come back, we'll go back to Wes and get our next set of questions. All right, we are back with segment two, and we're going to continue our mailbag segment. Uh, go ahead and take it away, Wes. 
Yeah, all right. So, Bryce, this one's going to you first. This is from C. Henry on Twitter. He is wondering if the handling of Jaden Ivey by Monty Williams has affected both Ivy and the team's morale this season. I mean, here's the thing. I think there was a couple questions that came through there where I was like, you know what? This is a really good question. This is a really fair question. I wish I knew the answer to that. My vibe would say yes, but I don't know. Like, I'm not in the locker room. You know, I haven't even been in the arena to watch them live. I actually feel like Ivy's body language and stuff overall has been pretty positive. We hear guys saying the right things in their interviews, which you would expect, you know, in their post-game pressers for a team that's lost this many games. So I would expect that it would be frustrating for Jaden Ivey. And I would wonder if other members of the roster would go, man, why are they doing this with him? But I don't have the answer. I don't have anything substantial I can point to that says, oh, look how upset they are. I don't know if there's any quotes that we can read between the lines to get us there. So I think it's a great question. I don't mean to dismiss it in that way. I just truly don't know that this is something that I have the answer to. Yeah, I would say I haven't gotten the impression that it has. Um, the thing with J.I. is that it's not like he was ever like not in the rotation. I think those first six games before he was sick, he was averaging around 21 minutes, which, you know, of course, is a lot lower than I think a lot of people would have expected. But, you know, I don't know if, you know, I guess his handling of Ivy ever rose to the point to where it even got to that. Right. You know, because for one, Killian you know, was playing pretty well in that time. You know, I think along with that, you had Sasser, you've had a pretty good start. You just had a lot of guys vying for minutes. I think everybody understands that Cade's Cade, he's going to get his share. And Alec Burks, too. He was really good at the beginning of the year. So. You know, I'm not saying those minutes should have come from Ivy, but I just don't think it ever got to the point to where guys were like, this is like de destroying the team, right? And along with that, when Ivy came back, his minutes have pretty much trended up from that point on. So, you know, I, I don't think it ever really got serious enough to the point to where it would have any substantial impact on the team's morale. All right, Wes, what do we got next? All right, this one is from Jeffrey Cameron on Twitter. He says, my son Jack wants to know what a realistic vet, what realistic vet this team could go out and get a trade for. Uh, Bryce, you first. Yeah, so first off, Jeffrey, thank you for asking. Jack, thank you for being a listener and supporting the podcast and turning in this question. Really cool to see, you know, the younger generation tuning in and listening and being a part of it. And Jack, stay through it. This, this is tough right now, but <laughs> keep supporting the team and watching. And you know, we can't get much worse than this. It, it, it's going to go up at some point, my friend, hopefully. So it's another really good question. I think the Pistons are in a weird spot, Jack, where... I don't know what assets they have to trade for this type of player. It's like you could cobble together some young players and future first and go make a big move. I wouldn't really be about that unless it was the exact right guy. And I'm not sure what you would want to or could give up to get a veteran in this scenario. I'm going to give some names from Pistons Thought on Twitter. So shout out him. And this is, you know, all credits to him. Chetty Oshman is a guy. Corey Kisper, Danilo Gallinari, John Collins, Najee Marshall is a guy for the Pelicans I thought has played really well. Patrick Williams isn't as much of a vet, but a guy we've talked about, Gary Harris, Royce O'Neal, Josh Okoji. Like my thing with some of that is I don't know what it would take to get those guys and if the Pistons have the right assets. Yes, Robert Canfield says Doug McDermott. I think Doug McDermott would be awesome. I don't know why the San Antonio would want to trade him, though, because he's one of their only floor spacers around a team that needs floor spacing 
you know, around their number one pick in Victor Wimbanyama. So Jack, I guess my answer is I don't foresee that guy because I'm just not sure what assets the Pistons have to go get him. Maybe there's a second round pick where they could go get a guy like that. But anybody with shooting, I, I still think floor spacing is a big need. So I don't know, Amari, where you would go if you have any names that kind of would pique your interest or you've thought of. Yeah, you know, I think you look at it. And, you know, again, I think when you look at just what, what tier event would this be, right? And how many teams are in a situation where they're just giving up pretty solid vets in the middle of the, the season. Uh, you know, the NBA is so competitive now that there's only a handful of teams that are, you know, probably looking to, you know, sell at the deadline, there's going to be a lot of teams like the Pistons who, in fact, are looking to upgrade to prepare for the play-in and playoffs. And a lot of those teams are just well more equipped as far as draft capital than the Pistons are, too. I'm not sure if the Pistons and OKC were interested in the same player that there's any deal the Pistons could come up with outside of including Cade himself that would, you know, entice the team enough to not go with OKC. So I'm curious to see what's realistic right now. You know, I could see it being a scenario where they may not get a, you know, quote unquote, big name guy. And by that, I'm not talking about like a Zach Levine. I'm talking about, you know, more so along, maybe even like a Tobias. But again, I don't expect Philly to want to come off a film with the way that they've started. So that's still very much a TBD for me. I think over the next month, we will see which way uh, teams are are trending. And maybe there's some surprising teams that are looking to come off of some of those guys, but from a bidding standpoint, we may just see more so like veterans who are rotation players rather than like maybe a bona fide day one starter. Although they should aim for the bona fide day one starter, of course. So Marcus Schulten, hopefully I pronounce it, says Buddy Hield. Yeah, I would love Buddy Hield. My my question is like, what is it going to take to get Buddy Hield? What would the Pacers want in return? And so that's where I don't know that I have an understanding of the market because I don't want to give a future first round pick to just rent Buddy Hield for the rest of the season. So does a second, and then what person on the roster gets that done? You know, would they want Boyan for whatever reason? You know, like that's where I don't necessarily have a grasp for. There's some names that I like. I guess just right now I'm in a place where I'm not sure the Pistons have the assets. One thing could be interesting, Jack, is can Troy Weaver in the front office get involved as a the third team, you know, where they end up getting the extra guy, the extra contract somewhere. That's something that I feel like a lot of fans would like to see that hasn't happened. Maybe they can get involved at that at some point. But um, appreciate the question again. Wes, what do we got next? All right, I got a question for both of you first. Who wants a tough question? Who wants to answer the tough question I'll take first? It. Bryce, you got it? All I'll right. take it. I'll, this is yeah. from Matthew Crow. He says, Gore said that if Weaver doesn't make a move to improve things, then Gores will probably look to make a change. But this team is partly bad because of Weaver. So why should we trust his ability to fix it? Yeah, I mean, I just talked about this on Game Theory. I, I don't know where I can point to to say that we should have trust in Troy Weaver being able to navigate this. I said last episode that I thought maybe there was some lack of chemistry with the front office, right? That maybe everybody wasn't on the same page. Tom Gores met with Amari and the, the beat writers and essentially came out and not directly at me, obviously. I'm a, a nobody to anybody in the organization, but, you know, no. said, said, hey, we are, you know, this was on me. This is on Troy Weaver. So I, I got to listen to that. My only thing, the only thing I can come up with is, this was the first real season where Troy Weaver was trying to build a competitive team. A lot of the other years, it was, you know, young guys and 
a little bit of tanking and all. This was the year they were supposed to turn the corner and be good. And, and they failed. They, they bombed it. The only argument I can make is, do you trust that Troy Weaver will learn from those mistakes? Can he present a plan to you that shows he has learned from those mistakes and has the plan to capitalize on things moving forward? That's the only thing that that would I think he has in his cap because everything else, like a lot of these moves, Wes, that I've made arguments for a lot of years now that I didn't feel like were franchise altering. There were a lot of wrong moves, though, and they've now started to add up. So that's kind of where I'm at, Amari. Yeah. Um, so what's funny is that I asked uh, Tom pretty much verbatim last Friday, like what gives him confidence that this front office can turn things around. And he talked a lot about the cap space, but he did not necessarily talk specifically about the people in the front office. It was more so about the situation that they built. So, you know, I think that that question still remains to be seen, right? You know, I'm curious to see, you know, how things evolve leading up to the trade deadline, you know, especially if the Pistons eventually do snap the streak and, you know, maybe can sustain some sort of at least competitive play. You know, I think that's still rapidly evolving, but, uh, I did ask him that like pretty straightforwardly Friday night and didn't necessarily get, you know, the the answer that I was looking for. So we will see as far as what's the what's the trust level there and, you know, where's the comfort level as well. I, I think it'll be really interesting how this team plays Amari once they break the streak. Like this thing has to be weighing on the players and it has to be affecting how they're playing, energy, you know, positivity, all of that stuff. I thought they came out on what was it Monday night and actually or Tuesday night and played you know with some energy to start the game looked really good but I'm, I'm really interested to see once they break it Amari I'm not saying they're going to go on some run and we're going to see a completely different team but that's going to have to feel like a you know a huge weight lifted off their shoulder because that just has to be way like that everywhere they go every that that has to be the vibe right now yeah I mean just the the mental space that I'm sure the streak is occupying you know it's one thing to lose games it's another thing when you're losing games and everybody's eyes are on you and it's becoming you know memed and like a source of jokes and then you also realize how angry and frustrated the fan base is yep. like I know Ivy said I asked him last night well actually I asked him about something else but he kind of went off the cuff and talked about how he didn't like to sell the team chance and you know, like it's a lot, right? You know, you can't even in the middle of the game really remove your mind from it, uh, you know, because you've lost 26 straight leading up to last night. So, you know, the crowd cheered extra hard when good things happened, but they also booed and were a lot more harsh when uh, bad things happened. And, you know, I'm sure all of that on some subconscious level has got to have an impact on you. So, yeah, I mean, just getting past that stage of it to where you no longer have the microscope on you, I think will help a lot. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting. All right, Wes, what do we got next? We got an easy one coming up now. Yeah, an, an easier one. This one, this one will go to you first, Mario. This is from Josh Kettlewell. He says, "What's a realistic return for Boyan Bogdanovich, Alec Burks, and Marvin Bagley, especially with Burks being so cold this season?" Um, you know, I think Bogey probably gets the best return out of all of that. He's like efficiency wise, he's like pretty much right where he was last season. Slightly less points, slightly less shot attempts, but beyond that, he's been as efficient as he's ever been, you know, so I would expect, especially with him being on an expiring deal, that there would be, you know, still a pretty good market for him. You know, I don't know, you know, compared to last season where you are guaranteed to get like another year of him, whereas now he's more of a expiring. Although, you know, I guess if the team values him at that, at that cap number, they don't have to, you know, take that. But 
just because of that partially guaranteed deal. He's only guaranteed for $2 million next week. I think that that's a much easier one to move. You know, Alec Burks, I mean, yeah, he hasn't been shooting the ball well. I forget where he's at, true, set, true shooting percentage-wise at, but I know he was toward the bottom um, pretty recently. And he has a long-established track record for shooting the ball well. And, you know, I'm sure teams are aware on some level that that seems to be the last skill that leaves you. But he also had an injury, and he hasn't really been the same since that injury. And then the question then is, is there something still still ailing him, you know, that's preventing him from knocking down shots? And, you know, I would imagine that that trade value is probably not too hot, super hot right now. And then Bagley, it really just comes down to which teams feel like they really, really need a, a big, but I wouldn't expect Bagley to necessarily be the centerpiece of any, some you know, trade unless it's one piece of a, a, a bigger package. Yeah, I think I agree with all that. I could see, you know, Bogey, you're... I would assume you could still get a first round pick of some kind. Maybe I completely, you know, misunderstand the market, but I would assume that especially where it's expiring or, you know, I don't think somebody would want to bring him back on 20 million, but you could say, you know, he is getting a little bit older. Burks, you know, what's shooting 33% from the field and from three. I'm just not sure there's a huge market there. Uh, I don't think there's a huge return there. Marvin Bagley's interesting. Maybe I'm a little higher on Marvin Bagley. I, I would be, I would rather just keep Marvin Bagley around at this point not as like your starting big, not as your backup center, but as your fifth big or something like that, I would be pretty excited about that if he was in the right role in terms of somewhere in the rotation, but not a guy you depend a lot on. And I'm with you. I don't think by himself, he's going to you know get you a big return. Maybe as a, a salary filler, if there's a bigger move to be made, um, I, I would almost just rather keep Marvin Bagley at this point. Um, I, I don't always love when Wiseman gets the minutes over him. So we have uh, about five minutes here less left. Wes, Amari, maybe we try to go a little faster here, get a little bit mm-hmm. of rapid fire before we go to the break and then get the questions from the live crowd. All right. Sounds good. So Amari, you first here. This one actually kind of similar to some news that just broke today uh, about the business targeting of four from Shams. Uh, but this is Robert James asking, can we now say that they desperately need a legit four man and by extension that the two big lineups don't work or should they keep trying it? No, I think I agree. You know, they the two big lineups haven't really um, done a lot for them this season. And I don't think it's any coincidence at all that, you know, case uptick started right when Boyan came back and, you know, Duran missed some time in there as well. But even just lineup wise, it's become a lot tougher for Monty to play a SAR, you know, just because of how far back teams are playing off of him. And it really can only be done. I think it was pretty sort of effectiveness with Isaiah Stewart at the five. So there's a, a log gem of bigs that I think it's tough uh, when you have Wiseman, Duran and, you know, Bagley, who are all more or less playing the same role on offense and it just leaves Isaiah really as the lone four and he can play both spots, but there's no contingency for, you know, the nice Isaiah Stewart's probably more of a five, right? Based on matchups or whatever else. So they need a legit four, you know, you could argue that they still don't really have one on this roster, depending on how you feel about Isaiah Stewart. Then I think the spacing with Stu at the five has been something the team should probably lean, lean on more, just given how poorly they shot the ball. Yeah, so I've I've had interaction with Robert about this. We've had long back and forth on Twitter. And so, yeah, like, absolutely. Like, Isaiah, we've said it for a few episodes now. Isaiah Stewart, like, the whole experiment at the four didn't work. He doesn't have the ball skills to do it. I still don't mind that what they've tried to turn him into as a player in general. I don't think that was a bad idea. The three-point range, all of that stuff. But I think we all can agree on where he's best suited now. And... I think what he's really getting at is, did they prioritize him to a huge detriment? 
if you know that for a fact that they didn't go try out to go get somebody because they wanted Isaiah Stewart starting at the four, then that that was an absolute major miscalculation. 100%, Robert, you were right about that. I don't know that I know that, but like maybe they missed on somebody, maybe they didn't. If you know that for a fact, then 100%, I think... I will continue to say the biggest miscalculation of the offseason was not getting a wing, probably a forward wing, like a 4-3, maybe a true four, whatever. And so, yes, like that was a major mess up. If it was like, hey, Isaiah Stewart's going to play 35 minutes a night at the four. Even if you wanted to try it out, you should have had a backup plan because obviously it wasn't 100% foolproof. What do we got next, Wes? All right. This one is from Beat Farmer 19 says, are you guys surprised that the Pistons continue to make Marcus Sasser the primary initiator on the second unit when they could instead stagger Jay Nivey and Kate Cunningham? I would just say yes. I, I didn't. I thought Sasser made sense for this roster because you could play him off of a guy like Cade or even like a guy off Killian in the second unit. Jay Nivey, you're a little bit small with those two playing together. But yeah, I thought Sasser's value was going to come from, yes, he can guard those smaller, quicker primary guards on the defensive end, but he really was going to spend more time playing off the ball on the offensive end. He has some on-ball juice and wiggle, but I thought his real value would come from floor spacing. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I think a lot of it, and I asked Monty about this in Philly uh, a couple of weeks ago about just his evaluation of Jaden Ivey as an on-ball or off-ball guard. And I think he really does see him as more of a, a off-ball player. You know, I don't know how much he trusts uh, Jaden Ivey's decision-making. Uh, with the ball in his hands and, you know, he's preferred him in more of a secondary role, which is why we usually see him paired with, you know, Killian or, you know, Sasser or Cade. It's very rare that Ivy's just kind of running the show himself unless Cade's and foul chillboard or something else that's disrupting the rotation. But along with that, it does seem like Sasser probably is a better fit for the off-ball role, especially since he shot the ball so well in college. So, you know, I think that's something that they're still very much trying to figure out is, how do you play each guy to their particular stuff in that guard rotation? All right, let's get to one more before this break, Wes. All right, this one's from Matthew Crow. Little bit of an underhanded compliment, but Amari, this one qu- question to you first. He says, given the historic nature of these struggles, is it weird that no one has ever blown up or called their teammates out so far this season? Well, we know it hasn't happened publicly. You know, like behind closed doors, you know, it's tough to say. Like they've had some, they've had quite a few games during this streak where you know, a player or like Monty weren't promptly coming out, you know, so, you know, the true discussions behind the scenes, only they know. I know Marcus Smart went viral for kind of calling out the Grizzlies earlier in the season when they were struggling without Ja. And like, you do see examples of that when players are frustrated. I mean, I covered a locker room fight when I covered the Grizzlies uh, four years ago uh, between Garrett Temple and Omri Caspi when things began to fall apart for them. So you never know which guy's going to pop off. But I think a lot of it is like the Pistons are young and most of the guys on the team have never won before. So they don't have a reference point, right? If you're a team of, of vets, you've been in different scenarios. So like you've tasted winning, you know, you know the consistency and just the effort it takes to get to that point. And it's probably, I want to say it's more frustrating because it's like losing is frustrating regardless. But I think just the Pistons being young don't have anything else to compare this to, right? So they're more so talking publicly about supporting each other and just helping each other through it because, you know, again, a lot of these guys can still be in college. Yeah, I want to say, I'm glad you brought that up because I wouldn't want to see it happen publicly. I'm one of those people. I think this stuff should stay in the locker room. It should stay away from the media. It should stay away from on court, all of those type of things. With that said, I hope it has happened in the locker room 
after games or at practices or whatever. And I think that that's, I think sometimes that can be good. I've been a part of teams where we've needed somebody to call somebody out or a little bit of a scuffle, or I'm not saying physically harm your teammates. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying like, sometimes that chaos, that, that little, like it, it wakens everybody up. You call somebody out, they may not like it in the moment, but most guys will go and self-reflect. And so I, sometimes I think that's good. And I will say, I hope Isaiah Stewart is one that has done it or is trying to do it. Because one thing that I have believed about Isaiah Stewart and one reason why I've kind of supported is I thought he was that type of guy that would hold people accountable, hold their feet to the fire, those type of things. And so if he's not, I don't love you know, him as a player quite as much that you know, I still think he can provide value on the court, but I hope he's doing those things. You know, it'd be interesting with Cade. Cade seems a little bit more calm and reserved and relaxed. Sometimes it's hard for those guys to do it, but you can still do it in their in your own way. So I, I would just say I'm glad we haven't see it, seen it publicly. I hope that some of it is happening behind closed doors, locker rooms, practices, those type of things. We're going to go to a short break. Thank you to everybody that submitted a question. Sorry if we didn't get to it. I know some people got upset last time we did a mailbag or... or Trades or something like that that we didn't get to yours. We try, guys, but we also try to keep this stuff to an hour for my sake and my family's sake, Wes and his family's sake, Amari's sake. You know, he's doing Pistons 24 7, and also our listeners. We try to keep it to an hour. So we apologize if we didn't get to him. Thank you to everybody that submitted. After this short break, Amari, we'll go back to Wes and he'll go through some of the questions that have been submitted here live. We're back with segment three. We're running out of time, so let's get right to it. Yes, absolutely. So this one is from Sharon Dalton. Bryce, you first, asking, why do you think there have been no trade moves made yet? Are they just waiting until February? Yeah, I actually think that this is something I would support. I know fans want something to happen now. I understand, Omari, that they want this you know, losing streak to end. You've already broke the record now, so I would rather they be a little bit patient and let the market develop. You don't want to go out and make a move and then all of a sudden a player becomes available you didn't think. An injury happens and now some vets on this team are available. So I understand them being a little bit patient for another, it's probably going to be another few weeks. I've listened to the front office pod with our guy Keith Smith and they talk about how infrequent these trades happen in December and January in general. So I would assume that they're trying to come up with their game plan. I'm not surprised, Amari, we haven't seen anything yet. Yeah, I'm not surprised either. I would expect it would be closer to the trade deadline. That's just naturally when things begin to heat up. And uh, unless it's just like a complete no-brainer offer, there's no real reason for them to agree to anything at this point until they get a better idea of the market and uh, how certain assets will be valued. So I think that's the reason why, like you have to make the right trade and those types of trades typically don't materialize this early into the season. All right, Wes, what do we got next? All right, this one is from Matthew on Twitter. He asks, who is most likely to be re-signed this offseason? Killian Hayes, James Wiseman, or Isaiah Livers? Omari, um, you first. I think Killian's shown the most of those three guys. So, you know, I'm just going to go with Kill. You know, I think some of that just depends on how they view the point guard position long term. But, you know, I think Wiseman and Livers have had tough seasons. And, you know, they're in situations where from this point on, they'll probably have to prove it. And Killian probably has the least to prove of that group. I think it may come down to, for the record, I agree with you, Amari. My initial answer was Killian. It may come down to 
how else do they build out the roster, right? There may be a world where they really, you know, revamp the wing room and Livers is out. Maybe they revamp the guard room and there's no room for Killian at all. Maybe they don't give as much attention to the bigs because you have Duran and you're going to play Isaiah Stewart as the backup five. And maybe Wiseman comes back as your third or fourth center or something like that. So, you know, without knowing those things, Amari, I would still say Killian Hayes as well. I just Livers has been, I'm sorry, like just not very good this year. And I don't think Wiseman has been either. I feel like the the organization still believes in those guys, but my personal answer would be Killian Wes. All right. Next one coming up. This is from Robert Canfield Price. You first. How does this young core survive together with Jaden Ivey, Asar Thompson, and Jalen Duran all being bad three-point shooters? It seems like you can max have Cade and one other bad shooter as a starter. What do you think? Yeah, they can't. I mean, at the end of the day, if Ivy doesn't become the catch and shoot guy that I at least thought he could be, that we saw what he did as a rookie, at least on unguarded catch and shoot. If Asar isn't, you know, improving, I don't have any faith that Duran becomes that type of, you know, floor spacer, at least not in, you know, these next five, six, seven years. I'm not saying long term he can't like they can't. Like either you have to play Ivy off the bench and have shooters or something like that. That doesn't mean he can't be part of the core four as a guy coming off the bench. But Amari, if they don't get better shooting, either those guys can't play together and you have to put guys around them that can or they're going to have to improve. Yeah, uh, you know, I think of that of those three, Ivy's probably got the most upside as a shooter. Right? It really has not been falling this season at all, uh, but he had a hot start. So we'll see how that evens out over the course of the year. But if Ivy could even just get 36%, you know, I think that that's probably sufficient, you know, next to Cade, assuming Cade shooting also picks up. And, you know, again, that's a lot of assumptions as far as how these guys will shoot. I actually asked Bouncy about Cade shooting uh, today because I read in my story today. He's like averaging 24 points, uh, I believe seven assists, three turnovers in December and shooting 50%, but only 31% from three in December. And Monty just mentioned, you know, I think some of that's inherent to just how much he handles the ball, which is fair. You know, like Trey Young and Luca, you know, are guys who are respected as shooters, but don't necessarily hit the best percentages. But, you know, as far as Ivy is sorry and Duran, I think one of those guys for sure has to be at least an average shooter. And that's Ivy. And if long term, Asar and Duran are more role players than you know, you make decisions, but you have to make decisions, but you know, that's probably fine for the same in the grass game. Yeah. And then I still think you can have those guys as your core four with one of Ivy or Asar coming off the bench. We know how important that role could be. And so as long as one of them develops the three point shooting, I think they would be okay. All right, Wes, what do we got next? All right. This is from Sharon Dalton again, asking, do you think that this trade is realistic? Uh, it's between the Pistons and the Lakers. Bojan Bogdanovic will be going to the Lakers. The Pistons would then be getting a first-round pick, Rui Hachimura and Christian Wood. Bryce, you first. I doesn't seem like it. I also don't know that I would want Christian Wood. I mean, I guess he does come in and really score the basketball. Rui would be interesting for this team. I'd have to look at his contract and see how I really felt about that. He, I guess Boyan makes sense for the Lakers in terms of needing some scoring. The, their starting lineups are all over the place right now. So um, I'm not sure if that's, I'm not sure how realistic I feel like that is. Yeah. You know, I'm in, intrigued because Rui is a rotation guy for them. Like his numbers are pretty efficient. He's definitely improved and is a rotation guy for them. So if you're trading him and a first round pick, is Boyan the type of return you want, especially considering that Boyan, well, he's under contract, you know, next season, but again, for 20 million and 
you know, he'll be 35 years old. You know, that seems to me, that feels like a tad much of an overpay, you know, like long term. And to me, that's just an absolute win now move for the Lakers to come off of Rui and a first round pick. So, um, you know, I think we could see something maybe within the parameter of that, but I'm just not sure if Bogey gets you uh, two assets of that caliber. Yeah, and I mean, you're also talking about a team like this isn't the Oklahoma City Thunder that have first-round picks to just throw around. You know, yeah. they're very much in the negative with first-round picks. So if they're going to give up what I believe is like the last one they can actually trade, I think they're really going to want something, you know, big in return. And so, you know, and, and at the end of the day, I think Christian Wood's kind of been out of the lineup for them, but they don't have a ton of depth there. I don't know how much they believe in Jackson Hayes. Like they, I, I guess you could flip some guys, but uh, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. All right, let's go on to the next one. This is from Dave Lester on Twitter. He thinks that the team is missing a facilitator and that that might might make life easier on Cade. Uh, Mario, would you agree with that? I would, because they are missing a facilitator. His name is Monte Morris, and he's supposed to be reevaluated in a couple of weeks here. But I do feel like on some level that that Cade um, would benefit from having a, a veteran who can like both shoot and take care of the ball, which... That they don't really have on this team. And like Monte is not going to completely flip the season around. But I would say that, you know, just adding that stability, especially to the second unit, where, which has had the tendency to just completely fall off when Kate exits the game, I think that would go a long way. So, uh, yes to both. Uh, it would make life easier. And they are just a facilitator. Uh, and that's a lot of the reason why they brought Monte in is just because of that awareness. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think Kate can absolutely play off the ball. I think, you know, letting him do that a little bit more makes his life a little bit easier, which is essentially what you're asking here, Dave. So, appreciate the question. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to have somebody that runs the offense, maybe get him a pin down, run some zoom actions for Cade where he doesn't just have to initiate from a standstill. So I think that would be great. Like maybe that's why Killian Hayes was getting the minutes whenever he was healthy. And then also just a guy then to run the second unit, settle it down, all of that stuff. And, and like I said, I don't have to continue to reiterate. You said it, you know, that's Monte Morris. I still, listen, Monte Morris doesn't solve how bad this team is. But Monte Morris would make things look a little bit better if he was a part of it. And I was excited about this guard, you know, rotation at one point, Amari, because I thought we were going to have Monte Morris and Alec Burks as the backup guards for this team. We haven't seen Morris play and we haven't seen Burks been good since his injury. And that's been, you know, it hasn't been a, you know great for the backcourt. Well, I know we still got a, a few more here, guys. If you have one, get it in here quick. We can go rapid fire over the last you know, 10 minutes or so. We have four in the queue right now, so we probably have room for a couple more. Absolutely. So next one up here, this is from Do It Effortless, talking about trades. So Bryce, this will go to you first. Wondering what Asar Thompson and Jaden Ivey's respective trade values might be right now. Yeah, like Asar would be really interesting to me. Obviously, a top five pick that's shown a lot defensively on the boards, all of those things, uber athletic, but an offensive game that's really limited right now. So, you know, obviously you're not going to send him to a contender. You know, what's a young team going to think about him? And so I'm not sure. I mean, you get a first round pick, right? But, you know, then what's the value with that? An unknown first round pick? Are you going to, is somebody going to trade you like they would trade you two bad first round picks, but do you want two bad first round picks for Asar Thompson? I'm just not sure. Jay Nivey, I think he would be highly valued, but again, I don't think like a contender is going to want Jay Nivey. It would be a young team who thinks, hey, this is a guy that we need to run the show for us. Not not as the point guard, but like really dominate the back backcourt. So 
I just, I, I don't, I, I don't know where it's at with those two guys. I, again, like we said earlier, Mari, I think Ivy's would be higher than a SARS though, but maybe I'm way off there. Yeah. I mean, I think right now, a SAR, especially in this 2024 draft, like I could see a team just saying, Hey, we'll give you our first for a SAR. Sure. Now, is that going to be as high as the pick you used on a SAR? Uh, you know, I think that's a very different question, right? Is it worthwhile trading your recent fifth round, fifth overall pick for a pick that's like low, late in the lottery or even lower? Uh, probably not. Um, you know, I think with guys that young, it's always tough to get uh, a good assessment of like where their value is. Like a guy like Tyrese Halliburton is already like a very solidly above average point guard when he was traded for some bonus and Ivy nor are quite on that level yet. So, you know, I wouldn't expect either of those guys to really buy themselves that a really big return by any means. It would have to be like a sweetener for some larger package you're trying to get across the finish line. Yep, I agree. All right, Wes, what do we have next? Hey, this is from Jared Dalt. Again, appreciate all the questions. Uh, asking, what is going on with the defensive coach? Uh, says our defense sucks. Who is the defensive coach right now in his absence? Yeah, so obviously Dan Burke is somebody that we talked a lot about coming into the season. You know, it wasn't just the hiring of Monty Williams. It's uh, also like these guys that he brought in with him, the rest of his staff and he, how he rounded that out. I was, I think Dan Burke was the guy I was most excited about. I have no idea what's going on. It, it's none of my business. So like all I can say is I hope everything's okay with him and whatever the reason is that he's not with the team. I do think that that's hurting the team. I mean... And I know you should say, well, these other guys on the staff should be able to run the defense. Well, if they were that good at running the defense, they would have been hired to run the defense instead of him. And so I think there's a the fact that there's maybe a slip on this end and maybe you don't have guys that are the most comfortable, I think makes sense. And so I think that that's been an under talked about point of, again, I'm not saying this team wouldn't be bad. I'm not saying they'd have 10 wins all of a sudden, but I do think it's impactful that the guy you brought in to run the defense installed it during training camp and through three or four games and then now is absent. And yeah, maybe the other guys on staff don't coach it and teach it and correct it and everything as well as the guy that was brought in to do it. No, absolutely. Yeah, Dan Burke's just away for personal reasons. You know, that's all anybody said about it. Uh, no idea when he's going to be back. I think it's been more of a by-committee approach with the defense, you know, since he left. But obviously he was kind of brought in the uh, lead that end of the floor. And, uh, you know, I don't. it's tough to say how much his absence has influenced the streak. But it is kind of odd that, he did leave pretty early into the season. I think his last game on the bench was like OKC. And like literally the next game was like that Portland game that they led by 15 and then collapsed. I mean, that could just be a coincidence, but you know, it's clear that they're missing him on the bench and could definitely use his acumen on that side of the floor. Yeah, and YouTube users said, yeah, the roster isn't great in terms of all of these really good defenders either. So it's, it's not a completely well-built roster, a new scheme, and the guy that installed the team isn't around to correct things, build upon things, make things better. And so it, it is tough. Um, last few here, we'll get to them quickly. So last chance to get anything in before we close it out tonight. So this one is from Aruna Fonseca. Hopefully I said that correctly, but he's wondering how much the debate on keeping the cap sheet fairly clean versus adding talent felt that would add, add to the cap sheet this summer kind of hurt their debate um, internally. He's saying that he was on the team don't spend money for players who won't be in there in the long term. But right now, it's kind of looking like that's wrong. Um, so, Amari, what, what are your thoughts on that debate going on in the offseason now with hindsight? 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I think a lot of it just, it was just like finding the right player for the price they wanted, right? You know, I think a lot of the players that they passed on are players that obviously would, would have helped them this season. Uh, you know, Cameron Johnson was among those names. I think that's tough. You know, I think that actually you wanted to keep that cap space moving forward and, you know, they wanted to preserve it for, you know, basically the right moment. What that right moment was, it's kind of tough to say, right? You could kind of push that, you know, ball down the field as much as you want, but at some point you have to cash in. So I think they just assumed that the roster was further ahead than it actually is. And, you know, they looked at the the Cam Johnsons and the Kyle Kuzmas and those types of guys. And, you know, they were like, you know, I think we can, survive this season without that. So, I mean, the main reason why they did it was to preserve cap space, but I think it also just kind of reflected on the players who were available. You know, so which players probably closer to the archetype they want to fill. Well, for one, I know Cam Johnson was a a concern they had. Um, Injuries was a concern they had with Cam Johnson. Uh, Just how much will he be available? You know, of course, they traded for Blake and then he had injury issues. So I think they're very aware of that. So, I guess that's the key. I would think they would want somebody maybe a little bit more skilled on on defense. They talked about that end of the floor. And they apparently didn't see that player in last year's class. But even right now, I I would think whoever they bring is going to be somebody who could be a difference maker as far as their perimeter D. Yeah, Aruna, I'm with you. I was, you know, kind of okay with how they handled the offseason. They brought in Monte Morris, who we've talked a lot about. You know, Boyan and Burks are coming off career years. and, And it was kind of miscalculated. Whether they should have foreseen it or not, maybe you should say they should have seen that Boyan was going to be injured to start the year, even though he's been good since he's got back. And they should have known with Monte and and Burks. And, you know, maybe Ivy hasn't improved quite as much as what I thought, even though I believe in him, maybe the second year jump isn't as much. And I think they just miscalculated how good the roster could be with what they had. I would have liked to see now, and we've talked about a little bit, just that short-term overpay as YouTube user brings it up. Find the guy that you could have just straight up overpaid, just blown them away with a one-year you know, contract with a team option on the second year and just way overpay what anybody else was willing to do. That's what they should have done with the Joe Harris cup money. Like I, 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 everybody that said it at the time, you were right. I was wrong, but that's what I would done is just overpay somebody in that scenario to really help this team just grow and help them win, whether it was floor spacing or defense or whatever they felt was most important. Wes, I think we have two more. Oh, go ahead, Amari, before we move on. No, I was just going to say, you look at what Indiana did with Bruce Brown and, you know, the Pistons could have done something like that, right? You know exactly where you're getting. They come from a winning program where they can immediately come in and lift your floor. Uh, if they didn't want to commit long-term money, they absolutely could have did that. All right, we got one more, two more, I think, here, Wes. One more? Yes, sir, one more. One last one. This is from Pistons, Mexico. I'll send it to you first, Omari, so you kick us off. Is Jeremy Grant a realistic vet to get at the trade deadline. You know, at this point, Portland hasn't shown any inkling that they're trying to get off of that trade. So, you know, for now, no. You know, maybe things change and evolve as you get up to the trade deadline. And we know Jeremy would fit this team actually extremely well. It's kind of funny. You know, they trade him to add to the core, but he's actually exactly what this team needs. You know, like almost down to a T. But, no, I mean, I would not project them to be an option on this Portland shows any inkling that they want to get off of that deal. And then right now they have it. So it's just tough to project if that's going to change or not. It'd be interesting what his market is, you know, at his contract, you know, and, and what it would take to get him. And you're right. I'm not going to say I was one that was like pounding the table to say, pay Jeremy Grant and keep him in Detroit. But this is the type of guy you're talking about. What I would have to do is just see the long-term implications. Because with a lot of these conversations, 
I do think you need to keep some future flexibility in terms of adding to the roster. So just that's one thing I always want us to be aware of as the fan base as we talk about trades or signing guys or whatever. I'm not saying continue to kick it down the road. That's not what I'm saying. I understand they've done that long enough, but you can't completely exhaust every draft pick even five, six years from now. You can't completely lock in the cap space for the next four or five years. Not yet. Not till you know for a fact you have your three or four guys. The draft pick situation is already a little dicey and you can quickly get a bunch of bad contracts that do just lock you into kind of cap hell. So I just want to say with every one of these moves we talk about, you got to think about those long-term implications as well. Omari, that's it for this episode. I think we'll be back next week, probably doing our new year's resolution. We might turn that kind of into an annual thing. So we'll go through that. I know we revisited those last episode. Wes, thank you as always. Omari, it was awesome being back with you. Always fun talking Pistons, even in the middle of this Appreciate you. Hope everybody out there had a great Christmas and have a great New Year's and enjoy the holidays. And hopefully the next time, I don't have we got to talk after a Pistons win yet this year? I don't think we have. So maybe maybe we we'll have. get to do that very soon. Take it away. All right. Awesome. See you all in 2024. And big thanks to our audio producer, Robin Chan, our editor-in-chief, Dakota Avery Nichols, our executive producer, Anjadette Delgado and our sports editor, Kirkley Crawford, and a big shout out to Wes. We'll talk to you all next week.